Well, during this uh, season of Lent, uh, as you perhaps maybe saw at the, the front of, of your bulletin, there was a little bit of an intro uh, to our series for the season. Uh, what we've just very simply titled it is Idols. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, but maybe uh, perhaps you, you have thought uh, from time to time, you, you maybe look at the Ten Commandments and you read that first commandment, and you think like, oh, I'm good to go there. Um, I, I, I'm in church every Sunday. I, I do my, my portals of prayer reading every day. Um, I'm not out there practicing some false religion or, or worshiping a, a false god of, of some kind. So I can just move on to all of the next ones. But I think to, to sort of take it that route would be to sort of miss the point there. Because when we are called to have no other gods, God is not merely talking about sort of what religion you practice. That command is not merely reserved for for those who, who maybe subscribe to another religion, but if you actually remember, those commands, and that command in particular, is given to whom? To Israel. To God's people. And so that command to have no other gods is one that regularly applies to us. One that we need to constantly reflect on. And the reality is, is that having an idol in your life is not merely practicing a false religion, worshiping a false god. But I know I've quoted this in, in sermons before, as Martin Luther defines it in the large catechism. He says that anything on which your heart relies or depends... That is really your God. So as we walk through this series on on idolatry this season, that's sort of the question that I think we need to ask ourselves. What has your heart? What do you trust in and, and depend upon? What do you put your hope in? What do you look to for, for happiness and satisfaction in life? What do you look to for salvation? What is it that you believe can bring to you and the world around you a sense of shalom, things as they're meant to be, peace, rest, wholeness? And the goal during this series is not merely to chastise people, but is to specifically name those idols that exist in our lives so that we would turn from them repent of them and worship the one thing, the one person who can actually bring us salvation. And so one thing that you were handed this morning, part of this series, is we have put together these these cards. And each week we're going to pass out these cards and and it simply names the the sort of form of idolatry that we're talking about. It, It gives a definition, some reflection questions, and then on the back, are some spiritual practices or exercises that that we believe have a way of of sort of fighting back against this idolatry. And so not only will will our our worship and and our our preaching during this season uh, be be naming and and calling us to repent of these idols, but we've given you this uh, so that you would be able to incorporate these into your exercises during the Lenten season and, and hopefully also beyond that. And so the first one, uh, the first idol that we are discussing this morning 
is the form of idolatry that, that Martin Luther calls the most common idol in all the earth. Uh, it's a, an idol that, that scripture spends page after page and spills immense amounts of ink warning against. It's one that in the ministry of Jesus we find him and, and hear him naming over and over again. It's this idol that, that is so frequently a part of our lives is the idol of materialism. This worship of, of money and property and things above all else. It's this way of being where, where we set our lives on chasing after stuff above all else, looking to those things for our peace and our rest, thinking that if I just had a little bit more, I'd be happy, I'd be whole, I'd then be content. And in our gospel lesson this morning, we we hear Jesus speak very directly to this form of idolatry. Listen again to, to what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus here, he names for us two different kinds of treasures. And he calls us to lay up one, and he calls us and, and warns against the other. The first one he names, those earthly treasures, be it, be it our, our, our wealth, our, our, our homes, our clothes, whatever it is, those material things that we so often set our hearts and long for. He says, don't lay up those kinds of treasures. Why does he say it? He says, don't seek after those kinds of treasures because moth and rust, they destroy Soon those clothes, they wear out. That car begins to rust. That home that once seemed so so big and so grand suddenly gets filled with stuff and doesn't seem so big anymore. And those things that we acquire, they're, they're here today, they're gone tomorrow. See, the problem with earthly treasures is they are temporary. They are fleeting. They are corruptible. So Jesus says, don't seek after those kinds of treasures. Don't seek after the treasures that waste away. But rather, seek after the other kind. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, because there neither moth nor rust destroys. There thieves cannot break in and take away the treasures that are laid up for you. Those treasures are eternal. They're lasting. They're incorruptible. They never waste away, cannot be stolen. So Jesus says, seek after those kinds of treasures. Because, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the issue here isn't so much, 
how long your treasure will last, but rather the issue here is how long your heart will last. And so if your heart is amidst things that are corruptible, that are wasting away, that can be stolen and destroyed, well then presumably your heart is going to suffer the same fate as those treasures. Therefore, if you want your heart to last, then let your heart be among things that will last. Love the things of God. Love the things of heaven. Love the things of His kingdom. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven so that your heart will be there where your heart will then be eternal along with your treasures. Where your heart will be incorruptible along with your treasures. Where your heart will not fade away along with those treasures. You see, here's why Jesus calls us to love what lasts. Because he wants our hearts to last as well. And the reality is, is that one of the reasons Jesus warns against materialism is because materialism simply cannot deliver on its promises. Materialism says, if you have this, you'll be whole, you'll be happy, you'll have peace, you'll be enough. But then it always demands more. Once you have that, immediately it's saying, well, now you need this. Now you need that. You have this home, it's time to fill it. You have this garage, you need a fancy car to go in it. You've achieved this status, acquired this much wealth, well, now you need more. You maybe have this much, but look what that person has. Materialism always demands more, and it simply cannot deliver on those promises of wholeness that it makes. And so Jesus calls us to love what God loves, to love those things of heaven, to lay up our treasures there because God has proven that He can deliver on His promises. And God has proven that our treasures that are amidst Him and amidst His kingdom, that they do in fact last. He's proven it. He's shown it to us in Jesus. When has money or wealth gone to the cross for you? When has money or wealth or possessions overcome the grave for you? There's only one who has gone into death and come out the other side. And so he has said, let your heart and your treasure be among me because I am the one thing that lasts. Those other things are gone as soon as you enter the grave. But when we treasure the things of God, we are promised that we will even overcome that grave. So don't love what wastes away. But rather, Jesus says, love what lasts. Love what endures. Love Christ and His Word. And in doing so, lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. Because there, your treasure and your heart along with it will not be destroyed. Now, one of the ways that that Jesus helps us identify how we sort of see where our treasure lies. 
is by examining what our eyes are frequently looking to. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that light? So what you look at, what your eyes are frequently looking to, spending time examining, reveals how your body is. Reveals how how your heart is. So if we're constantly looking and browsing online, shopping for more and more and more, that says something about us. About where our treasure is. If your eyes are are looking always at the next person, thinking about, do I have more than them? Or do they have more than me? That reveals something about our hearts, doesn't it? If we're constantly obsessing over our bank accounts, constantly living in fear of the future, do I have enough? Reveals something about us. It reveals how our heart is, how our body is. Ultimately, it reveals what we treasure. And so Jesus calls us to examine what is it that we look at? What is it that we're spending all of our time obsessing over? Anxious over? Afraid over? Because it has a way of revealing how our body is. It has a way of revealing where our heart and our treasure is. And at the end of the day, you can only serve one of two masters. Jesus concludes here, verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and God. Money. There is no both and when it comes to our idolatry. We do not get to serve God and money. We do not get to, to serve and, 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 and worship God while clinging to our material idols as well. Because what will end up happening is we'll either love the one and hate the other. Or we'll serve the one, be devoted to one, and, and despise the other. At the end of the day, we're either going to be devoted to our money, our possessions, our things, and keeping those, and hoarding those, and building those, or we will be devoted to God, serving Him, worshiping Him, obeying Him. There is no both and. So who is our master? Who is it that we are serving? Who is it that we are most devoted to? Where does our allegiance lie? Does it lie with our things? Or does it lie with our Creator? You know, there, there is something about materialism that that is certainly enticing 
It's certainly enticing to chase after things. It's the way we're patterned to, to think. It's the way our, our world shapes us to, to see things. Get more, acquire more. Right? The one who dies with the most toys wins, right? That's how it goes. But the reality is, is, is if you really stop and think about it, materialism at the end of the day is a harsh master. Materialism is an incredibly harsh, unkind, demanding master because what does materialism say? It constantly demands more. Work harder so that you can get more, have more. Accrue more, build more up, bigger house, bigger this, bigger that. And it never ends. It's always demanding more. As soon as you fulfill one demand, it's asking another one. And it is this endless demands. And we will spend our entire lives obsessing over money and things that will, are here today and gone tomorrow. Materialism is an incredibly harsh and ruthless master. And not only does it demand more all the time, but when we are serving materialism, it does something to us. It it fills our hearts with, with covetousness, where we're always comparing ourselves, wondering why we don't have as much as the next person, longing for the things that we have not been given. When we're serving materialism, it makes us selfish, makes us the kinds of people who are always thinking, what can I get out of this? How can I take care of me first? And, and maybe, maybe if there's something left over at the end of the day, I'll think about someone else. It makes us constantly discontent. Never happy, never feeling like we have enough, like we are enough. And it leads us to either be prideful and arrogant over the things we have, turning our noses down at other people, or it makes us angry and bitter over the things that we don't have. It makes us tight-fisted. Materialism is a harsh, harsh master. And it promises freedom, but all it does is it enslaves us. And it literally turns us in on ourselves. So the call to worship Jesus, the call to worship God alone, is not one of of just mere blind obedience. But it's actually an invitation to be free from the enslavement to material idols. It's a call to be freed by that and to, to yoke ourselves not to this harsh, demanding master of materialism, but actually to serve a gracious, kind, and loving master. Because while material idols always demand more, the disposition of our God is to always give more. We see this from beginning to end. What is God doing in creation? He's speaking into existence. And, and he's caring for and providing for and filling his creation. 
We see a God who over and over again is always a God who gives, who provides for His people, who forgives His people, who embraces His people and brings them back to Himself when they run astray. We see a God who in His forgiveness promises us freedom. Freedom from being enslaved to those material things. Freedom from always being demanded more of. We see a God who is so bent on giving that He would enter into the mess that we have made of creation and bear the cross that our disobedience and our turning away deserved so that we would receive salvation. And not only that, but this God has risen from the dead. And when our hearts are always longing for more, you know what He has promised us? He's promised us His own kingdom. Material things, they constantly demand, but we rather have a God who constantly, constantly gives. Who in the face of more and more sin upon creation pours out more grace, pours out more mercy, more forgiveness. You know, I can remember uh, when I was growing up in the church, every time I would hear the church talk about generosity, I would get incredibly confused. Because I remember, how do I reconcile, you know, we talk a lot about grace, a God who forgives, who demands nothing, but then the church always seems really hard up for money. How do we sort those two things out? But either there was something lost in communication or I was just missing something, but I think the thing that I missed is that one of the reasons that generosity has always been one of the central spiritual practices of the church is because generosity is a reflection of who our God is. It is actively seeking to worship with our bodies this God who constantly gives. So when we seek to be generous... When we give of our time, when we give of our money, when we make those sacrifices, what we are doing is we are making an active rebellion against materialism. And we are saying with our lives, those things cannot deliver on their promises. Those things cannot make me happy or whole. Those things cannot bring peace and rest upon creation. They cannot bring salvation. And because of that, I'm willingly to freely give it away. Because I know the one thing that can deliver on His promises. It's the God who made everything. Who sent His Son to rescue everything from sin and idolatry. And when we give of what we have, we are making a confession that we have a God who not only gives enough, but a God who's going to give me more than enough. So we're called to generosity. Not to earn God's favor. We're called to to generosity as this active worship and reflection that we have a God who always and constantly gives. So people of God, let go of your idols. Let go of those, those material idols Promising happiness, promising wholeness by acquiring more. Let them go. 
because they can't deliver on their promises. Let them go and instead cling to the one thing, the one person who keeps his promises. Cling to Jesus because he has come to rescue you from your idols. Cling to Jesus because he does not demand or enslave, but rather he has given even himself for you. Cling to Jesus because he always gives more and he has promised you an inheritance in his kingdom. Let go of your idols and cling to Jesus. Amen?